Well, I always enjoy seeing our young people lead in worship, and today was really uh, especially exciting. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not in the bulletin, but Dwayne always puts the composer of the song to the right of the song. And if you look at that uh, song that our young people sang this morning, the composer is Addison Lander. He wrote that song. And uh, every week, he's been coming in since January on Thursdays and working with Dwayne. And, and so he's been working on that since January this year. And uh, he's, he's headed out to college pretty soon. Are you? Is it this week or next week for you? I didn't hear what he said, but anyway, he's... This week, so you went out with a bang, didn't you? You know, original composition, led in worship, and that's that's absolutely wonderful. Well, that's great. I think uh, many of our young people have a bright future and and, sh- and showed us the Lord's church. Amen. That was a powerful song. You would never know he wrote that unless I just told you. It's an absolutely wonderful job you did with that. Well, today we're beginning a new series through the first chapter of 2 Peter, and it's titled Truth Worth Living. If you begin to think about this, uh, many people today don't even believe there is such a thing as truth. And, and by the way, that's nothing new. I, I know that uh, it seems like so many of us think that everything's always new. It, people that think that everything's new, they just they, it tells you they've never studied history. I mean, we just keep repeating the same things out throughout the years and over and over again. And this idea of questioning the existence of truth, that's not new either. In fact, in the first century when Jesus stood before Pilate, this is how the conversation went. John chapter 18, verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And listen to what Jesus says, to bear witness to to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Now, this morning, if I had asked everyone here, could you give a purpose statement? What what was Jesus' purpose for coming into the world? And just be honest, how many of us, it would have came to our mind, well, he came came to bear witness to the truth. Probably not the first thing I would have thought of. I would have thought about his death. I would have thought about his teaching. But but Jesus himself says that part of his purpose was to bear witness to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Listen to what Pilate says in response. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? Many people today are mimicking the skepticism of Pilate. What is truth? Is there such a thing as truth? Many people today believe that truth is relative because truth is based upon perspective. And so truth for me is how I see a situation. Truth for you is how you see a situation. The the irony in that is that that same group of people will be the first ones to argue to the death about the reliability of science because they believe that science contradicts the Bible. And so it gives them a free pass to live morally however they want to and claim that lifestyle to be morally right because, after all, truth is relative and what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. Well, when you get to think about this, I want you to think for a moment with me. Where does science come from? Where do we get knowledge about something? 
And I, I want to argue that it's all based either directly or indirectly, one way or another, it's all based upon observation. We observe something and then we draw conclusions based upon our observation. And because God has created a world that is perfectly consistent and regular, then when you mix two chemical compounds together and you get a stable situation, if I mix the same two chemical compounds in the same exact conditions, then I will get the same results. And we can observe what's happening there. And then we can draw conclusions about what that means. That's why when, when you go to the pharmacist and you've got a prescription for amoxicillin, they don't say, well, which amoxicillin works for you? It's just one amoxicillin. When, when we drive across a bridge, people have observed and made conclusions about those observations that they call laws of physics. And you think about the people in this room. Many of the people in this room, your entire career is based upon this type of thinking and this type of science. We've got doctors here, and, and their, their whole career is based upon people make observations about what they see, and they conduct tests, and they observe what happens, and they draw conclusions about a treatment. That's why we have trial studies and clinicals. We have people here that are engineers, and, and your whole life is based upon these different scientific observations remaining constant. All of us live every day, whether we ever think about it or not, but based upon this kind of truth and information. And will the bridge hold your car? Well, it's, it's not relative to how you feel about the bridge. There's an objective science that determines how much load that bridge can handle under certain situations. So that's where our knowledge comes from. Conclusions logically drawn from observations. But Jesus told us that there's another source of knowledge. There's revelation. Science is based upon discovery. But revelation is when God gives us information. And the Bible says that God not only gives truth, but that he is truth. That is, everything about God is true. Everything that God knows is true. And so, therefore, everything that God shows us and reveals to us is true. And so, Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth. This is what John chapter 1, verse 9 says about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, his testimony about Jesus. He said, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus came to enlighten us. That is, to reveal something to us. And when we come to the book of 2 Peter, this whole first chapter is about us having knowledge. And knowledge that is revealed by God so that we might know him and know what he wants us to. To do. And this knowledge, because it is revealed by God, is as certain and as factual as any observation and conclusion 
drawn from that. Now, here, here's the thing about science. And I, I believe in science with all my heart. That's why I go to the doctor and that's why I drive on bridges. I mean, I believe in science. I really do. But because it's based on observation, it's limited to our powers of observation. There was a time when everybody believed that the world was flat. And when somebody said it's round, the people of the day, the scientists of the day, said you're crazy. Because they couldn't observe. They didn't have telescopes in space yet. They didn't have space shuttles. They couldn't observe. And nobody had made it around the world yet. And so there was a time when everybody thought that the world was flat. You see, here's the thing about God's truth. God's truth doesn't have any limitations. God knows absolutely everything. So there'll never be a time that God will say to you, well, I thought you could be saved, but I didn't yet understand. I mean, never. What God reveals to us will never be contradicted by a better discovery or additional knowledge or insight or a different situation. And so God's truth is absolute, it is certain, it is unchanging, and it is absolutely completely reliable. And that's why God's truth is worth living. You see, when we come to believe something, it changes our action. We, we, we act out our faith every day. And we reveal, whether we intended to or not, but we reveal what we believe by how we behave and what we do. And so Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Well, today we're just looking at verses 1 through 4. It's packed full of information. It's packed through thing, uh, with things that we need to know about God. And the title of today's message is Through Knowledge We Grow. You know, right now, uh, it's, it's kind of unbelievable, but so many people in, in our culture uh, value ignorance. Uh, I mean, they do. They do. Tell, tell somebody that, that you're uh, reading a textbook, and nine out of ten, this is the response you'll get. They said, are, are, you, are you taking a class? Why, why would you be taking a class at your age? You say, no, I'm not, I'm not taking a class. Well, then why would you be reading a textbook? And then, then you'll say, well, I, I was interested in the subject, and I, I wanted to learn something. And nine out of ten people, you do your own, maybe you're around smarter people than I am, but nine out of ten people, this is the response that I get. Why would you want to do that? I've had people, so many people tell me, I'm done learning, you know. I'm not sure they ever started, but, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all relative. We, we have, we value ignorance. And, man, people bring that into the church, and so they'll say, Pastor, do we really need all these sermons and Bible studies about doctrine? And, and, and then they try to sound really spiritual, and here's what they'll say. They say, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? And the moment that you respond in any way, you've entered the realm of doctrine, and you begin to teach a system about what you believe and what you understand. 
And it amazes me to see people go to the Baptist church and then leave the Baptist church to go to the Methodist church and then leave the Methodist church to go to the Pentecostal church and then leave there. And I mean, we, we, all, we all believe different things. And when people say, Pastor, I don't really need to know anything. Just, just give me Jesus. It's like saying, I like a drink as long as it's wet. Gasoline, Gatorade, I'm not into the details. Just give me something wet. You know? the, 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 details, the details make a big difference. They do. They make a big difference. There's churches that teach that you can live any way that you want to and be at peace with God. And there's churches that teach that you have to repent, that is, change the direction of your life to be at peace with God. It's not relative. They can't simultaneously be true. And so when we get into these, this, this knowledge, in Second Peter, he's going to talk about it multiple times. He's going to use the word knowledge. We, we need to know something. Uh, you don't have to be a, a seminary graduate or a Bible scholar, but in order to grow in your faith, you need to know something. You need to know who it is that you're worshiping, and you need to know what it is that he wants you to do. We need to know something. Knowledge is important. So 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, would you just stand with me out of reverence for God's word as we read this together? 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Simeon Peter, your translation may say Simon, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to learn and understand what Peter is revealing to us. And Lord, I pray that we might leave here with a deeper vision of who you are and what you're calling us to. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing that we see in this passage is that we need to know where we stand with God. Think, think about it. We need to know where we stand with God. Now, if you ask the average person today where do they stand with God, they will tell you, well, I'm at peace with God. Me and God are good. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that exact phrase, me and God are good. I'll go and talk to people and they say, me and God got it worked out. And I say, well, what did you work out? What does that mean? Because I know what God worked out for you. Did, did you accept that or, or did you work your own deal on the side? And usually that's what they mean is that they work their own deal on the side to try to circumvent the parts of the message that they don't like and they don't want to conform to. And so we need to know what our standing with God is. Just because you think that you're in a good relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you're in a good relationship with somebody, right? I was uh, on this trip uh, a while back, and uh, one of the ladies had went. She was by herself, and we were taking a bunch of students. 
And so anyway, so I, I sat with her on the bus, and, and uh, we, we, we talked. It was a long ride. We talked about our families and kids, and, and I told her about some music that we'd been listening to. And anyway, we sat there and shared some music and stuff. And, and she said to me, she said, she said, I am so glad that, that we got to be friends on this trip. And I said, I thought we were already friends. And she looked at me in a very condescending way, and she says, you have a lot to learn about women. And so, uh, just, just because you think that you have a good relationship with somebody does not mean that you have a good relationship with somebody, does it? Uh, I, I learned that day. She thought I was distant, isolated, cold, and, and now she finally got to know me, and we, we, were, we were friends together. I, I didn't have a clue before that. Many people think that they are in good standing with God, but the Bible says that we are children of wrath. We are isolated from God because of our sin. And God has a solution for that. He sent his son to die to pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to him. But we have to know that and we have to accept it. And so the Bible says here about Peter, it says, Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is a servant of Jesus, and he's an apostle, and that means one who is sent. So Jesus has sent him and called him to be a servant, and that's the source of Peter's information. Peter sat at the feet of Jesus for three years and listened to Jesus teach. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter saw the baptism. Peter was there. And so Jesus is the source of his knowledge. So we know that the things that he says is true. But here's the amazing thing. He tells us that we can have the same standing before God as the apostles. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, as Simeon Peter, and, and uh, let me just explain that so you don't get distracted by that. You know, the Bible is written in different languages. The Old Testament's in Hebrew, the New Testament's in Greek. And, and this, we got a, a Hebrew name translated into Greek that's now being translated into English, and that's why we get some multiple spellings. So it's, it's, it's Peter, it's Simon Peter, but the Greek actually has an E in there. So Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a, listen to this, a faith of equal standing with ours. Who's, who's the our? Well, it's Peter talking. He's talking about the, the, the other apostles, the 12. And, and notice what he says, a faith of equal standing now how is it that that you and i who never met jesus in person never heard the sermon on the mount never saw a miracle and and i don't know how you've lived but i've done some pretty bad things in my life so how is it that we can have an equal standing with the apostles well that's what peter says so so here's here's how we receive it it says by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we can have a faith of equal standing with Peter and John and James and the other apostles, not because of our righteousness, but because we all receive the righteousness of Christ when we believe in him. Listen to what the Bible says about how one receives this righteousness. This is Romans 5, 17. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and then listen to this phrase, the free gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, righteousness is not something that we earn. It's something that we receive because you and I are, are not righteous people. You may think that you're righteous because there's a lot of worse people around you. And as long as you compare yourself with other people, you'll look very righteous and you'll look very good. But when you begin to compare yourself with God, you find that we all fall short of his glory. And yet we can be righteous because, you see, Jesus, who lived an absolute perfect sinless life and is righteous in every way that somebody can be righteous, his righteousness can be given to us. We become clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So it doesn't matter what your past looks like. Your future can look like that of the apostles. We can have a faith of equal standing before God. You see, grace and peace, it comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus. Look at verse 2, what it says. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And notice this phrase. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge. So, so we need to know something, you see. When, when, we, when we know something, it enables us to have grace and peace. Not, not too long ago, I had a, a place on my leg that was just bothering me. It just hurt. And uh, just, I, I go see enough sick people to know you need to, you need to follow up on that. So anyway, so I was really worried about it. So I, so I went to the doc. I was nervous. And I said, I said, what do you think that is? He looked at it with one glance. And he says, it's nothing to worry about. Absolutely nothing. I forget what he called it. I didn't, I didn't care. I just wanted to hear that word. It's nothing, nothing. That's what I wanted to hear. So when he got into all the medical, anyway, he said, it's scar tissue from trauma. You probably got to cut or bug about it. Anyway, he said, don't worry about it. It'll probably get hurting in a few months, which I didn't care that it was hurting. I was just worried that it was hurting, you know. I thought, what, what is that thing? And when he said, because you see, he does this his, every day, his entire life. When he said, it's nothing, don't worry about it. You know what I had? Peace. Peace came through knowledge. See, before I didn't know. I didn't know, is it, is it cancerous? Because I'd already had one cancerous spot I had to get taken off. So I was wondering, is it, is it cancerous? What is it? And he says, it's nothing. And I had peace. Peace came through knowledge. When you know where you stand with God, then you can have peace. And so many people, they, they don't, they're just wondering. They're hoping that they're good with God. They're wishing that they were good with God. But they don't really know, and they're not sure how to get there. And so Peter tells us that we get in good standing with God by receiving the righteousness of Christ. We can't get there by our own righteousness because none of us have lived a perfect, righteous life. None of us. We may be a saint compared to our brother, but compared to Jesus, we're filthy. It's the word the Bible uses. It says our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. But yet we can have the same future and hope of the apostles because the righteousness of Christ can clothe us just like it clothed them. And when we come to know this, we receive grace and peace and it comes through knowledge and understanding. So we need to know our standing with God. We also need to know what God has given us. Look at verse 3. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You see, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what this passage says. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Many people have a flawed view of who God is, what the Bible is, and what Christianity and church is all about. They think that when they're done enjoying life, then they'll come into this drudgery and participate so that they get some fire in church just in case there really is a hell after death. That's the way many people view the church. They think that we don't ever do anything, that we are just a bunch of ice-hearted, just boring people. And if they're going to be saved, that's what they've got to become. And nothing could be farther from the truth. The reality is, is that Jesus came in order so that we could live and have life. And there's a lot of things outside of Christianity that are fun in the moment, but they destroy you in the end. What Jesus calls us to is life that's fulfilling and rewarding. And so listen to what the Bible says in Romans 5, 8 through 10. It says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he made it possible for us to live because he died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, that, that's our standing before receiving the righteousness of Christ, by the way. Enemies of God under his wrath because of our sin. You say, well, I thought God is loving God. He, he's loving beyond what you can imagine. He loves you so much that he found a way to be just and merciful. And so therefore Christ came and bore the wrath of God for us. And so it says here, and saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christ made it possible for us to live. This is what God has given us. He's given us life. And he made it possible for us to thrive. We're not talking about existence when we're talking about living. We're talking about a quality of life. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 10. He said, I've come that they may have life. And have it abundantly. See, the, Satan came so that you could have fun and then be destroyed shortly after. Jesus came so that you could have life fulfilling and have joy, peace, happiness, and prosperity for all eternity. He's also made it possible for us to live a godly life. He says that he gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. You may be here today and you're in, in, enslaved to some kind of sin. And you believe that there will never be a time that you can give it up because you've tried in the past and you couldn't. I tell you, if Jesus sets you free from it, you can be free indeed forever. He came so that we might have life. He came so that we might have life abundantly. And he came so that we could be free to live for him. This is what Jesus desires for us. And so God has given us all things that pertain to life. And godliness. We also need to know what God expects from us. 
Look again at verse 3, the second part of it, and then verse 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And notice this phrase, who called us to His own glory and excellence. Who called us to His own glory and excellence. Here's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's inviting us to become like Him. You see, Jesus wants to change our character. He wants to change our nature. And that, my friend, will result in a change of behavior. He wants to transform you into a different person. And the person that he wants to transform you into is a person that thinks and lives and loves just like he does. He wants to make you like him. So he's calling us, not, not just to escape hell, but to embrace heaven. To share in his glory and his excellence. Look at verse 4, what it says. By which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may, listen to this, become partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world. The Bible says we can become partakers of the divine nature. Do you remember what Satan said to Eve when he was tempting her in the garden? He said, Eve, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows if you eat this fruit, you'll become like him and he doesn't want you to be like him. And you see, nothing can be farther from the truth. He wants us to become like him. He wants us to become partakers in the divine nature. Not that we're going to become gods, but that we're going to become eternal, living beings. All of us exist for eternity, but not all of us will live for eternity. It's about the quality of our existence. And so the Bible says here that we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Well, can we know God? Well, Jesus said that he came to bear witness to him. Can we trust the disciples? Well, Jesus said that he was going to give them the Spirit and that he would bring to mind all that he had taught them. And the Bible says about itself that every word is inspired by God. Every word. And so the Bible is truth. And as we discover this truth, we can depend upon it. How, how do we know who God is? We look at what God has revealed to us about himself. It may be contrary to what all our family believes and what all our friends believe. But that's okay. There's been many times when everybody's been wrong. There was a time when everybody thought the world was flat. And they were wrong. It's round. And there may become a time when everybody believes that there's no God 
There may come a time when everybody believes that there's multiple gods. But what they believe will not change the reality. There's an objective reality. And when Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them about this objective reality. He called it truth. And they revealed it to us so that we might know who God is. We might know where we stand with him and how to change that standing through faith in Christ. And so that we might know what he expects from us. And when we begin to understand this truth, then, then we need to live by it. We need to live by it. Let's pray together.